Yeah, nice. Good, good. All right, everybody, everybody okay after football? Everybody's okay? Everybody's good? I told you don't skip church or they'd lose, so it's on you. There you go. <laughs> Right? Anyway. Hey, so you know, before the service, we put up a parental advisory meeting. We're going to be talking about some stuff that, uh, you know, you're, your, you're your kid's parent. You can make your own decision. But um, meaning this is that, that last night I was walking through the lobby out there and somebody saw the parental advisory and I heard him say to somebody next to him going, every time Jim speaks, there should be one of those. And I don't, I don't know how to take that. Um, you're, you're welcome. How about that? Um, but anyway, t- today we are in week three of our Jack and Jill series, where we're using this metaphor uh, of two people who went up a hill looking for water to satisfy their thirst. At some, part, at some point in their search, somebody made a mistake, one of them fell down, and the other one fell down, they both got hurt. And where we left off is, they're both still thirsty, right? And we're comparing this, this fictional child's poem to an actual meeting we read about in the Bible where Jesus meets this woman at a well. We're going to be there again today if you have your Bible, John chapter 4. But her life has followed the same storyline of Jack and Jill. I mean, I, I got thirsty. I went looking for water. I found some. I took a drink. But by the next day, I was out and I had to go looking for more water again and repeat the same process day after day, ended up with the same results, still thirsty or thirsty again and unsatisfied. And what we discovered last week with this repetitious daily physical trip to a well outside of town in search of literal, you know, actual H2O, really all that is is a metaphor for her whole life, especially her internal spiritual kind of misunderstanding of who she is and her, her identity and her worth. And secondly, how believing and living something that isn't true about herself has impacted her relationships with other people, especially the men in her life. And that's what we've covered over the last couple of weeks. So while we're using Jack and Jill as our theme and we're, we're studying the story of a woman who lived 2,000 years ago back in the Middle East, the truth is we're looking at ourselves, right? We're, we're actually looking at ourselves because there's a lot of us in this room who can look at the Jack and Jill story or the woman at the well story and go, yeah, me too. Yeah, her story is my story too. Because a lot of us can look back over the years of our life and, and, and say, it's true. I went looking for something or someone and I was sure that it, it would satisfy me, complete me, fulfill me, give me what I thought I needed for me to be okay or to feel valuable or to feel loved or to feel wanted or to define how much or what I'm worth. And so I went looking. Right? We went looking for that someone or that something to satisfy my thirst. And I thought I found him or her. So I dated him or her, or I slept with him or her, or I married him or her, or I supported him or or her, and I thought I found her or him, right? Or I thought I found it. I studied really, really hard in school. I got the job. I worked my way up the ladder. I made the money. I bought the house. I bought the car, the whatever. Or, Or how about this? I had the baby. I thought, as long as I can have a baby, right? And so I had the baby, and I raised the kids, and I volunteered for everything, all right? I did everything I thought I was supposed to do to be a good wife, and to be a good mom, or to be a great husband or a great dad, to be a good girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. I I had it all. I did what I was supposed to do, and here's our story. And I woke up one morning and discovered I'm still thirsty. I'm not satisfied at all. I'm empty, I'm bored, I, I, I'm unhappy, I have no idea who I am, I don't know what I'm worth, I don't know what I'm supposed to do today, let alone for the rest of my life. That is our story for some of us, right? And that's the scenario that Jesus walks into when he bumps into this lady at this well. He has a conversation with a person who we find out is in her sixth bad relationship. She's living in fear and shame and hiding from the judgment and the stares of everybody whispering behind her back for how she's lived her life so far. But we also find Jesus bump into a person who we're gonna see today that after a little bit of defensiveness and some excuses and sidestepping, she's willing to to admit, I want something better. 
I want a better life than what I've experienced in the past. And that, I believe, is the biggest takeaway. I think that's the biggest takeaway from any story or teaching of Jesus, at least I've found. For me, anyway, it goes like this. With Jesus, nobody's future has to be defined by or be a repeat of their past sins, mistakes, or failures. Aren't you glad? With Jesus, the future doesn't have to just be more of the same. I love that about Jesus. With Jesus, everything can change. With Jesus, every one of us gets another chance. And with Jesus, all things really are possible. But in order for for anything in our lives to ever really change or become possible, Jesus would say, and this is what we've looked at, things have to first change on an internal spiritual heart basis, and then things have to change on an external physical truth level of our life. And again, this is a huge theme with Jesus. Cover to cover in the Bible, it goes like this, all right? Jesus taught this over and over. He said, if the inside changes, it makes a difference on the outside, right? If the inside changes, it causes changes in your external, what you do life. And the corresponding truth goes like this. If the outside hasn't changed or isn't changing, it reveals what is or is not going on on the inside. True? And Jesus said it like this. Look, he, he, said, he said, the good man, it's not just about men, it's a person. You can say person here. The good person brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart. And the evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. And we've looked at this a lot of times before, but I would say this, all right? I don't know everybody in the room. I don't know most of you in the room, but I would say almost everybody agrees with, with Jesus on that. No matter what you believe about Jesus being the son of God or not, you go, well, that's true no matter who said it. Right, and here's what I mean is what we do on the outside, right or wrong, for better or worse, is the greatest indicator or revealer of what's going on inside, right? In a person's heart or in their mind. And I'll give you the greatest example of that. We can just look at the recent tragedies right here in our own country. We can try to blame a lot of stuff, violent movies, violent video games. We can blame it on guns. There's too many of them or there's not enough. And we'll never agree on that, right? But most of us would agree You can look at a school shooter or a movie theater shooter and have no problem going, there's something messed up in them. There's something broken on the inside, right? That's why they did what they did. The outside is just a symptom of what's going on inside. And while most of us agree that in most cases, a person's actions reveal something that's either really good or really broken inside of somebody else, what I found is the hardest person to apply that truth to is myself, Right? I can apply, I mean, it's really easy to look at some of you. Obviously, you're screwed up. Look at you, right? right? It's, just, it's just easy to do. But to look in the mirror and say, well, well that's, diff- that's really hard to do that. Even though, even though deep down inside, if we were really kind of pushed into a corner, we'd have to admit it's true. And that's where we pick up the story today. Jesus has just asked this woman for a drink of water out of this well. And just in doing this, this is what Scott talked about last week. He's broke about 57 rules. But, but in doing so, we also learn what kind of person Jesus is, what kind of God Jesus is. Rule number one he breaks goes like this. Jews shouldn't associate with Samaritans because of racial differences. Culturally, you weren't allowed to. And Jesus says, race doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter. Second rule he breaks is men shouldn't talk to or value women. They just didn't do that back then. And Jesus says, gender doesn't define value. I do. And the third thing he breaks is this. God shouldn't want to be or care about thirsty people who have made mistakes. And Jesus says, thirsty people who have made mistakes is why I'm here. It's why I came. See, what Jesus actually said, because this woman doesn't understand, why are you talking to me? People shouldn't talk to me. I know me. You, people like you, shouldn't be talking to me. And this is what Jesus says back to her. Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him. Let me just change the pronoun a little bit. You would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. 
if you knew who I was, right? In other words, if you knew, and if all of us really knew who Jesus is and what he offers us, we, we, would, we would ask him, please show me or, or, or tell me how, how to be truly satisfied. And he would give to anybody who asked him, I'll give you living water. I'll show you and give you everything you really need to drink in to experience true, real life. So looking back at last week, if Scott's talk last week, and if you missed last week for whatever reason, go back online. I think it's one of the best talks he's ever given. But, but if you missed that, I, I, if I could kind of assign a title to his talk last week, it would be this, Where to Find Water. Where to find water, or really where Jesus says that we can find water and life that really is better and satisfying and true. So if that was last week, today, the title I would give to this talk I'm going to give today would be this. Responses, excuses, and defenses to where and what and how Jesus says to find water and life that actually is not only better, but the only water and life that actually works. That's a long title. Like, I can't take notes. Slow down. What did he say? Right, right? That's a really long title. So let's just abbreviate it. Tonight, today, let's just call it this. Responses, excuses, and defenses. Responses, excuses, and defenses. And in your program there, you're just filling the blanks. So I really encourage you to kind of fill in the blanks. For the R, responses. The E, excuses. The D, you're not, come on, keep up, kids, all right? So defenses, all right? So, and the reason is sometimes you just gotta move it to one side of your brain. But for the sake of time, I'm just gonna call it red alert. Meaning whenever Jesus steps on your toes, our first kind of reaction is I respond this way, I make this kind of excuse and I make a defense, all right? And that's what we're gonna look at today. Go ahead and write that down. Jesus has just said to this woman, I can tell you how to have a better life, at least better than the one you're currently living and experiencing. And, and this woman, just like a lot of us have already done this morning, all right, all right, immediately bristle at the idea that Jesus is gonna try to, or anybody else is gonna try to suggest that something in our life isn't right, even though she knows my life's totally broken. He says the same thing to us, or he's going to. He looks at her and says, so woman, I, I can tell you how to find living water, a life that doesn't end up satisfied last night, but thirsty this morning. So that's where we pick up. Here we go, verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you or where can someone like you get this living water? Are you greater than our father? Really, do you think that you're greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his flocks and herds? So here's red alert number, number one. The first, when, when Jesus kind of indicates, I wanna speak some truth into your life. Red alert number one goes like this. What qualifies Jesus or anybody else how to tell me how to run my life? Isn't that true? When you, when, you, when you think that, oh, here comes some truth my way, our first response or excuse is, what qualifies Jesus to tell me how to run my life? Isn't it amazing, all right, that the parts of our lives that we, are, we get the most defensive about and that we get angrier, quicker about are not the parts of our life that we're really convinced are right or true. You know, no, we, we don't really get upset about that when somebody kind of questions that. The parts of our life that, 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 that we get really angry about really, really quick are the parts of our life that we know are broken or almost broken or headed towards broken, right? I'll give you an example. Right now, and I don't know, again, I don't know your story, but I have a feeling right now there's a lot of us in this room biting our lips, clenching our teeth, and just waiting for me or Jesus or somebody to talk about your marriage or your you know, sexual activities, or your collection of 50 shades of whatever, or your, your stack of pornography, or your web surfing habits, or your friends with benefits arrangement you have for out of town, right? right? You're just waiting for me or Jesus to say, hey, the way you're living your life is wrong. And you're waiting, and you have your, your fist clenched. You're just waiting to give your defense and your excuse or your argument. But your argument, at least your lead argument, is not to defend why what you're doing is right or good or true. 
No, no, no. Your lead argument or defense would be this. Who are you to judge me? Who do you think you are? You don't know my life. You don't know my situation. What qualifies Jim or Jesus or anybody else to speak into my life? Jesus wants to speak into this woman's life. And her response is, you don't even have a bucket to get water out of a well. What? How could you possibly be qualified to speak into any part of my life? Followed by, do you think you're better than me? Right? Seriously, I, I wonder how many parking lot conversations happened last week after Scott's talk. How many will happen today on your way home today that go something like this? They won't, be like, they won't say, you know what Jesus said or Jim said or Scott said, that's just not true. That's not what we'll talk about on the way home. What we'll talk about will go like this. I don't care what Jesus said. I don't care what the Bible says or Jim says or whoever says, they don't have the right or what gives them the right to try to tell me what's right for me or us or what we do. That's none of their business. I, I get, whenever I touch, touch on these really touchy subjects and things that, that a lot of people say, that's off limits, you shouldn't talk about that, I get these emails. And they always kind of start the same way or these conversations out in the lobby. They, they go like this, hey, Jim, you don't understand my life or what it's like out there in the real world because you're just a pastor. You know, and if you weren't a pastor or if you had a hard marriage or if you had something you know, tough happen in your life, I bet you wouldn't be saying what you're saying. To which, to which my red alert is, bless you, <laughs> right? <laughs> or, or something like that, right? But, but here's my point now, right? I don't know your life, you don't know my life, but I have a feeling that we're exactly the same in certain areas. I mean, if anybody kind of pushes into me, I get really, really defensive. Right, I, I do, and my point is this. When Jesus points out something in our lives that we know is broken or isn't true, our first response to what Jesus says isn't to say, Jesus, you're wrong. My life is true, my life's not broken. It's to kind of stiff arm Jesus and put up a wall and go, hey, butt out. Stay out of that part of my life. What gives you the right to speak into that? To which Jesus would say, actually what he said was this. If you just knew who I was, and if you knew what I was offering for that part of your life that you're so defensive about, you would beg me for what I'm offering you and I'd give it to you. Do you remember how we started this series a couple weeks ago? If, if you weren't here, this is what I said kind of as a setup. It went like this. At some time in this series over the next few weeks, or the next couple of months, something that Jesus is gonna say is true or a better way to live or something that you are doing is untrue or wrong for you is really gonna step on your toes and you're gonna get mad. Something that Jesus says, or I say that's true or right or wrong, whatever, it's gonna make you mad, followed by, why is it that what Jesus is saying about your life, why does that make you mad? And does it make you mad because you know, you're sitting there going, you know what Jesus said, that's just not true? Or is it because I know what Jesus is saying is true, but to admit it's true would mean that what I'm doing is not true. But to change it would mean it'd be really intrusive and it'd be difficult and it'd be painful and it'd be embarrassing and inconvenient. And worse yet, I'd have to admit that I'm part of the problem. See, at this point in the story, she's already defensive and Jesus hasn't pointed out one thing that she's done wrong or that you and I have done wrong. And let me, if you have to leave early, let me just tell you, I'm not gonna point out what anybody in this room should do different in their life. Marriage, sexually, any, anything. I'm not, that's, that's, not, that's not even my job today, okay? But be, here's, here's the thing. Here's why a lot of us are already angry. Because we know before we walked into this building today, there's stuff that's broken in our life, in our marriage, in our sexuality, in our relationships, in our family. It's broken and messed up. And right now we're sitting here, kind of with our head cocks, just waiting for Jesus to say something so we can go, see, I told you. Who does he think he is to talk about that part of my life? Right? We're all the same. Before Jesus gets into or calls out anything specific about this woman or what you and I are doing right or wrong, he calls out something else that we have to think about first. Look at verse 13. 
Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, and I probably pointed at the well, everybody who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Let's break down what what Jesus just said. Look at verse 13 again. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Everybody who's doing what they're doing is gonna get thirsty again. Let me put that in the form of a question. How's your current life working for you? This is the well you're drinking from. This is what you're counting on to satisfy you, okay? My question is, how's that working for you? Let me get even a little bit more specific. The way that you've done relationships in your life up to this point, whether you're 13 or 113, all right? Are you satisfied? Is it good? Because we started this series going, if it's good, just keep doing it. If it's working for you, just keep doing it. Are you satisfied or do you keep on finding I'm thirsty again? You, you have to answer that. Let's kind of get even more specific. The way that you've approached or demanded or given away sex in exchange for approval or acceptance or the promise of love or to keep him or her there to, to establish value or worth. So is it working? Are you satisfied or do you find that I'm thirsty again? Let's get even more specific. How's this boyfriend or this girlfriend? How's this wife? How's this marriage? Are you totally satisfied because it's different than the string of disasters in the past? Or is it, be honest, it's just more of the same. It's more of the same thing and headed in the same direction as every other train wreck that's described my love life up, up to this point. Because Jesus says, before anything else needs to change, he says, you've got to be honest with yourself. How's, how's it working for you? The well you're currently drinking from. Because if you keep going back to the same well and doing what you've always done before, you are gonna continue to experience and end up with the same bone dry, still thirsty results that you've ended up with in the past. Nothing is ever gonna change, at least for the better, until something else changes first. And Jesus shows up and goes, I wanna give you something better, something different. I had a conversation last night with a lady who came up to me. She says, that's kind of my story in there. I'm like, what do you mean? She says, well, I've been married twice. I've got kids by both, both guys, but... Do you really think in today's world that you can wait until you're married to have sex? Because I don't, I don't think a guy would go out with me unless I sleep with him. And I, I mean, I, I didn't want to be, come across as judgmental, and, but, but I want to go, well, you, you've slept with a bunch of guys so far. How's that work for you? Because if, if you keep on looking at men the same way, it's going to be more of the same. Then I was able to look at her and go, you know, I, I believe if you'll run after God and what you know God wants for your life, he'll take care of you. And if, if he wants to have another, you to have a man in your life, he'll bring him into your life. And you have to believe if you're thinking that and praying that, there's some man out there praying, I wish there'd be a woman who would wait for me. And I believe that. And she started crying and she says, I got to think about that. And, and she left. But the truth is, if we keep on doing the same things, we're going to end up with the same results. And Jesus comes along and says, I have something better I want you to think about. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's not following him. She's not, uh, we're talking about well water? What, what, you know, all right? Jesus is trying to talk about a real problem. Her life is a mess. And she thinks my biggest problem is I don't have water closer to the house, right? Which leads me to red alert number two. It goes like this. If someone would just fix my situation or change my circumstances, my problems would go away, right? Isn't that true? Think about it. Isn't it true that when we hear Jesus or anybody else say or suggest there's something wrong or broken in your life, one of our first responses or excuses or defensive is, yeah, well, of course I'm messed up. Of course I'm making mistakes. But if my life was different, I wouldn't be making these mistakes. If my circumstances were different, if my problem would change, if he would change or she would change, then I wouldn't have to keep on doing what I'm doing. But because of my circumstances, I have to. 
It's not even really my fault. And just like this woman is blaming her lack of access to water as the basis for all her problems and unsatisfying actions, we do the same thing. Ladies, you ask for your own series. Here we go, right? Ladies, how many times have you thought or prayed or laid in bed or whatever and just thought, you know what? If my husband would just pay more attention to me, if he was nicer to me, if he made me feel better about myself, then I wouldn't have to find passion and fantasy in pages of some trashy romance novel. If my husband was different, then my problem would change. Right, men? If my, if my wife would just do that more or, or give whatever more, lost 50 pounds or was willing to try some new stuff, then I wouldn't be forced to find release behind a locked door with a magazine or a website or a 900 number or a men seeking whatever on Craigslist when I'm out of town. If my wife was different, I wouldn't have this problem. Right? This is, this is, this is tough stuff. Listen, I, I know Scott mentioned Fifty Shades of Grey last week, and I've gotten a ton of feedback and emails from both women and men, mostly women, but, but please don't reduce this to Scott and Jim are bashing a book. This is not about a book. This is not about a magazine. This isn't even about pornography. It's about what's lacking or broken in our lives or our relationships that makes us want to go look for something else outside of being completely satisfied by the person God has joined us to in intimacy. It's about what are we trying to fix our problem with and what is the fixed promise versus what it actually delivers. And if our life keeps going this way, where does it end up and what does it cost us? See, ladies, just be honest. Isn't it true that a lot of you think that the biggest problem in your marriage or your relationship is him? His lack of attention, his lack of conversation and communication, his lack of romance, unless he wants to have sex with you. And, and if he would just change or if Jesus would just fix him, you wouldn't be thirsty anymore. It's kind of on him. And man, isn't it true that if the woman in our life would just compliment us more often or tell us that we're better than other men or cook and clean up after us like our mom used to do for the first 18 hours of the day, they turn into some nympho chick in a movie I saw in college the last 30 minutes of the day, your life would be complete. I told you to take your kids to the kids' ministry, all right? If, I got nervous there, right? If she would just give me what I need and a couple things I want, I wouldn't be thirsty anymore. This is our life. Red alert number one, don't judge me, don't tell me what to do. Red alert number two, my circumstances are to blame for my actions, not me. And Jesus comes to a point in this conversation where he goes, forget the well water, let's talk about you. Verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact, the truth is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have, the guy you're sleeping with, is not your husband. So what you've said is quite true. Time out. You know what Jesus just said? The truth. He just said, well, this is what's going on. And here's the other part about it. It's the truth that this woman already knew before she showed up at the well, right? Jesus didn't tell her anything she didn't already know. She showed up at the well going, I've been married five times. They all fell apart. Right now I'm sleeping with guy number six. It's probably going to end the same way. She already knew that. It's the same with us. See, whatever Scott said last week or I've already said this week that shocked or angered or embarrassed some of us didn't shock, anger, or embarrass us because it's new information. I didn't know that, Right? No, the reality that women read certain books or watch certain types of movies to allow them to fantasize about some imaginary man and think about imaginary him when they're having sex with their real husband, that's not new information to most women, at least according to the emails I got this week. (laughs) 
or the, the reality of what men do behind locked doors and in secret with imaginary or paid women or men or farm animals is not new news to anybody. I don't write the emails, I just read them, all right? But anything I've talked about today, anybody over the age of 13 goes, I knew that before I came here, right? What was or is new or at least awkward is to have someone like me stand up here in a room like this in a building called a church and say it out loud in the context of this is not what Jesus had in mind for us. That's when it gets weird. It's not that it's new or unknown information. It's that somebody would point out the reality of what's going on in our lives and say, there's a bigger, deeper problem going on and we have to talk about it or it's never gonna change, at least for the better. But here's a newsflash. The reality is most of us don't wanna face the real problems, especially when the fingers start pointing back at us and our part in what's broken. And that's what happens that day at the well when Jesus calls it out. Excuse me, ma'am, there are six broken relationships on the table and the only thing they have in common is you. She didn't like that, right? So what, what did she and what do we do when it gets uncomfortable? We change the subject. We change the subject when we throw this one on the table. Red alert number three, that's a matter of interpretation. You ever had that said to you or you try to use that one? Because it's what we all do. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. You know your stuff, all right? <laughs> all right, verse 20, our fathers, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship and connect with God is in Jerusalem. So time out, I really don't wanna talk about my failed relationships. Let's talk about something else. You know, your religion believes this and my religion believes this and there's another one over there that believes that. So who can really say what's right? Who really knows the right way to follow God or the right way to do this or that? I mean, it all comes back to how you interpret what God says. It's all a matter of interpretation. Can I, can I just say this, just be really, really blunt, all right? The whole it's a matter of interpretation is just a bunch of reactionary, excuse attempting defenses and it's a bunch of garbage. Interpret that. And here's what I mean by that. I, I get this all the time. I'm gonna try to save me a lot of future conversations. But somebody will come up to me in the lobby or they'll email me and they'll say, hey, I have a question. What does God say or what does the Bible say or what does Jesus say? What's this church teach about this or that? Especially when it comes to sexuality and marriage. And my response always starts the same way. I go, well, God says, or, or in the Bible, or, or we believe the Bible teaches. And before I even get done with that, the number one defense that comes back is, well, that's how you see it. Or that's, that's how you, you interpret it. There's a lot of different ways to interpret it. Usually followed by, you know, some people have studied that and they think it applies like this. And usually the person who studied it is not the person having the conversation with me. The person having the conversation with me has never studied it. They just found somebody who interpreted it in a way that lines up with what they wanted to do already. And if you shop long enough, you'll find somebody that lines up with your broken belief system. It's just true. The other argument is this, you know, if I point to, well, God says this and this or whatever, um, what this is allowed or this isn't allowed, especially when it comes to sex outside of marriage and homosexuality, the argument comes back. Yeah, yeah, well, the Bible also says you can't eat pork. Why don't you teach that? Well, the Bible says you can't eat lobster. Or you can't have this, or you can't do that. Why don't you teach all of that if you're gonna teach those sex rules over there? And here's the answer. Let me just clear this up for everybody. The reason is because later in the Bible, there are specific verses about which rules were temporary and went away. And the Bible says, now you can eat it, and now you can drink it, and now you can do that. And then there are other verses about which parts are permanent and will never go away because they show the way God designed life, especially sex, intimacy, and marriage to work best. So the whole, it's a matter of interpretation, falls apart fast because God is really, really clear. You can eat that, you can drink that, you can touch that. You still can't have sex with him or her or them or it ever, 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 ever. It's never gonna change. 
It's a matter of interpretation. Jesus is not stumped by that. What's right for you isn't right for me. It's how you see it. No, not at all. Jesus defines what's true. Let's look at verse 21. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming. And indeed, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You you Samaritans worship what you do not know. You don't know what you're talking about. We worship what we do know for salvation, connection and living connected to God is from the Jews. In other words, lady, listen, nice try. It's not gonna work. Well, how can you say that? Well, I'm the savior, all right, all right. I, I, I'm the savior and I know what I meant when I said that works and that doesn't. This is how relationships and sex and intimacy and marriage and everything else works together. And the reason I know it is because I'm God and the whole thing was my idea and I invented it and I invented you and I know how it works best. So a time is coming, actually, the reason I showed up here this well today is to tell you if you wanna have a better life, some things have to happen. Verse 23. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father, God, in spirit and truth. For they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers, people who are trying to live connected to God, must worship in spirit and in truth. And this goes back to what we said at the beginning of the series. Jesus is saying life happens best. You can live your life any way you want. Life happens best on two connected, don't try to pull them apart, levels. A spiritual connection with God internal, personal conviction of my heart on a level that only God can do inside of you and truth. This is how God designed the reality of life and relationships and marriage and intimacy and sex to work best and our lives have got to line up with what he said is true or nothing is ever gonna change or get better and we'll always be thirsty until we connect with God on both levels, spiritually in our heart and physically on how we live our lives. So in the last ditch effort, this woman plays her final card. The woman said, I know Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything. (laughs) God will get it, right? right? Red alert number four. God loves me and understands my heart and why I do what I do. God knows, right? God God understands in, in, in my heart. He knows why I do what I do. And here's the thing. What she said, that's true, For herself and for us, God does love her and understands her heart and her journey and her story and all the reasons why she has ended up in five or six different guys' beds and why she's tried to find satisfaction from that bucket and that well. He understands and knows all the reasons why. He knows and understands all of our circumstances and the things that have led us to do what we've done in our lives, right or wrong, up to this point in our lives. But what she wants God loves and understands me to mean, she wants it to say this, because God loves me and understands my life, he's okay with what I've done and he approves what I'm doing right now. And it doesn't mean that. What God loves, loves me and understands actually means is this, according to Jesus, because God loves me and understands my need for having my thirst quenched, he knows that. And because God understands my tendency to continually go back to the wrong well and the wrong bucket and try to find satisfaction, because God loves me and knows me and understands me and knows that I make mistakes that need not just forgiveness, I need someone to actually move into my life and show me a better, truer way to live. Because of all that, because God loves me, that's why he sent me a Messiah. That's why Jesus showed up in my life and in her life at that well. He sent me a Savior. When the Savior gets here, he'll explain it. To which Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. He sits down by a well and says, I'm here to tell you there's something broken between us and everything else is a symptom of that. And until you and I connect spiritually and not until your physical, relational, sexual, intimate life is gonna be a mess until we true it up 
and you can stop living thirsty all the time. Now, I'm almost done. I, I want to ask you a few questions, and then we'll be out of here, all right? And here's the thing about these five questions I want to give you. You already know the answer. If somebody would ask you the same five questions in the parking lot, you would have answered them the exact same way. So, so here we go. They're, they're tough, all right? But you don't have to pray about it because you'll know. Question number one, what part of your life do you know is not only broken and leaving you thirsty and unfulfilled, but if it continues to go in the direction that it's currently going, is going to end in total disaster, maybe for the first time, maybe total disaster again. What is that for you? And here's the conversations I've had. It's not, I can't think of one. I haven't had that one at all. It is, which one? I gotta narrow the list down. Just go to the big one, all right? The one going, I don't really don't wanna deal with that one. That's probably the one. Second question would go like this. Besides you, who else is about to get devastated by your unaddressed, excuse-making, defensive, not my fault, can't help it brokenness? It would be bad enough if we screwed up our lives and we just screwed up our lives. But what I've found is that in the big parts of life, when I blow it up, the collateral damage lands on all the people that I love the most. So things keep going the way they're going. Besides you, who else is gonna have to pay the price? Third one, this is a hard one. Like the other one for not but here's the third one. What would Jesus say? Not Jim, who cares what Jim says? What would Jesus say is broken inside of you? In your heart? On a spiritual level? And the fourth one follows up, you know, going back to what Jesus said about the outside and what we do on the outside is simply an overflow of whatever's going on in our heart. What would Jesus say is something that you are doing in your physical, relational, marital, sexual life that is based on something that's broken, that doesn't work, it's not real and it isn't true on the inside, but we're living on the outside as if it is. Final one. You know, we don't hear, if you read the rest of this chapter, we don't hear any more of the conversation Jesus has with this woman. We don't know. In the next couple of verses, a bunch of people show up and it just gets weird, all right? But uh, I think it's safe to say that Jesus didn't look at her and go, well, thanks for the drink, good luck with the next six. I don't think that's what happened, all right? That would be mean, all right? So not knowing what Jesus told her to do differently in her life, what if Jesus were to sit down by you? In your car, on a park bench, you know, quiet moment, right? What if he looked at you and went, okay, here's the truth. This is your life. And here's what needs to change inside and on the physical from now on outside. What would that be for you? And I think you know. Now, I haven't told anybody what to do different in their life. You can't come up to me in the lobby and go, how can you say, I haven't said anything, all right? You walk in here knowing. And what I've found is the Holy Spirit is a much better teacher than I am. So here's what I wanna do. You know, usually we just, we just close the service. Okay, let's pray together. And then we sing two songs and we go home, all right? But here's what I wanna do today. I wanna just carve out about 30 seconds, 45 seconds, something like that, for you to have a conversation with God. All right, to pray. And here's what I'm asking you not to do. Don't pray for your husband or your wife. I mean, they need it, but not, not now, all right? Um, I, I would like, would you pray for your own heart? Don't pray for, that God fixes your marriage or fixes your husband or your wife or your kids or your parents, all right? There's a time for that, it's not now. Would you ask God to look inside your heart and tell you what's broken? Because 
Everything else is a symptom. And if all we do is pray about symptoms all the time, it's like throwing aspirin at cancer. It just doesn't do any good. We've got to get to the heart of the issue. There's something broken inside of us. Now, here's the other thing I'm gonna ask you to do once you leave here today. I know that a topic like this and a series like this, there's a tendency to bring up some really, really, really hard stuff and it could lead to some really hard conversations. Could I just ask you two things? One is, would you just be gentle with one another? And the second thing, do you promise to not beat up anybody with the Bible? Well, God says this, and you're obviously going to hell. You know, that doesn't help at all, right? You look in the mirror and apply it to yourself. And when that plank gets out of your eye, maybe we can look at somebody else, all right? So we're going to carve out some stuff right now. I would suggest just praying for healing for your own heart. Forgiveness for your own mistakes. And there'll be plenty of time to pray for other people later, all right? So let's just go to God right now. Maybe it's the first time you've ever even had a conversation with God in a long time. And just ask him to point out not just what's wrong, but what needs to change. Can we do that? Let's pray. God, there's not one person in this room that walked in here hoping to get beat up or be reminded that they have brokenness or sin in their life. None of us needed to come to church to be told that. We carry that burden around every day of our life. We know there's brokenness in our life. What we came in here is to be reminded that there's grace and forgiveness and mercy and it's never too late to turn back to you and give that other chance and that our future does not have to be a, a horrible repeat of our past. And that's only possible through Jesus Christ. So God, anybody that's, that's dealing with guilt or shame, or, would you just remind them that that's why you came, to, to bring forgiveness. And there's plenty of grace and mercy available for all who ask. But the second thing, God, is that, that the reality is, the truth is, is that just because there's grace and forgiveness, we cannot keep on doing the same things over and over and expecting our lives to change, at least for the better. And so God, we ask you to search our hearts right now. Look in us point out any way in our own hearts that it just doesn't line up with what is real or true, what you say about us. And even though other voices in our life and even our own voices said, this is all we're worth, this is all we deserve. God, you have another voice, the voice of your spirit wants to speak into our hearts and say, you're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I love you. And I forgive you. Now, let's live together differently. Let's walk a different path. Let me change your heart and then we'll get to your marriage or then we'll get to your this or we'll get to your that. But before anything, God, would you heal up the broken parts of our heart? Whether we've broken it ourselves or somebody else broke it, we just don't wanna live one more day with brokenness being the definition of our life. And so God, forgive us for our past. Move into our hearts. Show us that it's possible through Jesus Christ to have a better future. That's our prayer. Be our rock. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.